Good morning, Northwest. It's wonderful to see you all. You're glad to be back in the house of the Lord, getting together, having some fun, praising his name and all that good stuff. I don't know what I would have done if you didn't actually respond. Listen, we are going to have a, a, a good time this morning. We're going to be studying God's Word. It's always good to read God's Word. It's always good to, to hear from the Word of God. Isn't it true? Yes, it is. Listen, we are going to continue on with what we talked about last week. We have been doing a whole month on dreams. Has anyone been getting a dream or waking up in the middle of the night with dreams? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. We obviously haven't preached hard enough on this one. I'm expecting that God is stirring up dreams within us. I'm expecting that we are meant to be seeing more dreams because we're Christians. That's the way it works. And last week, what I did is I talked about a thing called a plan to dream. And we only got so far. And so this week is like part two of that. And the plan to dream that we looked at was taking the anagram P-L-A-N, which is to pray it out, to let it out, to act it out, to navigate it out. We talked about praying it out because it belongs to God. It's a dream that belongs to God. If it belongs to Him, then it's on Him. And we need to be in a conversation with God about the dreams that He has got and He wants to plant in us. <clears throat> then we need to let it out, to manifest it, to get it out of us. And then we need to act it out as well, to do something. Because the difference between a dream and a fantasy is doing something about it. And so we're now at the last one called Navigate It Out. And we want to talk about navigating it out because I see that there are three specific uh, uh, obstacles that lie in our way, three dream killers, three things that could try and take us away from the dreams that God wants to plant inside of us. Now, as we're looking at this, um, I need to find my right notes here. <clears throat> Hold on. Bueller, Bueller. Okay, yes, I'm in the right place. Okay, as we're talking about the dreams, I don't want to go over the same scripture that we went over last week, even though we're actually going to be talking about that from uh, Genesis 37. So I'll give you a quick overview. It's about Joseph and about how Joseph was uh, given a jacket by his father. He was the youngest of all his siblings and he was loved by his father, but his brothers hated him. And so his father sent him out into the field to go check up on his brothers. He went out into the field to check up on his brothers. And his brothers said, let's kill him. And they took him and they threw him in a dry well. And they were trying to figure out, what are we going to do with this guy? Let's just kill him. And so they had an idea to pull him out of a dry well and to sell him to a group of people, to, to these caravaneers who were going through the desert. And they sold him as a slave onto them, to the Midianites, otherwise known as the Ishmaelites. And of course, they took him onto Egypt. So if you remember from last week, we talked about that whole thing. I want to look at the little stumbling blocks that were standing in front of Joseph to try and dissuade him from the dream that God had put in his heart. Now, let me make this very clear, that I don't believe that there's anything that can stand in our way for what God is calling us to do. Nothing stops God's dream coming to pass inside of us except our will. There is nothing that can stop the manifestation of God's dreams coming to pass in your lifetime except your will. Why? Because if it's God's dream, then it's on him to fulfill it. If there's a problem that, 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 that arises in your life to stop those dreams from happening, then it's God's problem, it's not your problem. You follow me so far? The only thing that you can control is your will, is your response to God, is your obedience or disobedience in each circumstance that you find yourself. 
So as we're looking at these three potential dream killers, let's look at them one by one. The first one I want to look at is what I'm calling the wrong future being laid out. This is all about succeeding in your family's dreams. Let's read this from Genesis 37, verse 3. It says, Now Israel, who is the father of Joseph, his name, other name was Jacob. <clears throat> now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons <clears throat> because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. And then later on in verse eight, it says, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Now let's look at this whole thing of an ornate robe. And I've, I've asked my very good friend, uh, Aaron Giles, who actually served in the service. This is not mine. <clears throat> no one believed it was mine, did they? No. <clears throat> I've got thinking man arms. That's why I didn't serve in the... And so, <laughs> and so, and so... Here we have, I'm sorry, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm knocking off all your stuff, Aaron. I'll put it back together, it's okay. So this is like a jacket that, we're, 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 that is a symbol of an ornate jacket. When someone is given a robe like this or a jacket like this, it's basically a signal of their position and their authority. And it's important for us to understand this because in those days, they also had the same thing that when someone wore a very ornate jacket or a very ornate robe, it was a symbol of their power, their position, or their connection to God or the connection to something greater than themselves. In fact, if you remember when Jesus told the story about the prodigal son and the prodigal son was coming back, he said, bring a ring, bring some sandals for him and bring a robe for him. Because that robe was to position him back into sonship, to position him back to like the top of the ladder. And the father had set him up to be in a position of power and authority over and above his other brothers. Even his brothers recognized this because they said, do you actually intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him for that. When you have a robe like this, you're not designed to get down and dirty with the work. You see, when you put on a jacket like this, jackets are not designed to roll up the sleeves to do the work. People who are going to do the work have other jackets that have their, their sleeves able to roll up or they have their shirt sleeves able to roll up. In fact, to get into work, you'd have to take the jacket off in order to get into the down and dirty work that might be demanded of you. Now, the fact is, God had called Joseph to get into hard work, but his father had catapulted him to the top of the ladder to wear this ornate robe, and he even told his son, go out into the fields and check up on your brother, see what they're doing, come back and report. So he was already set up to try and be in a position of power to get to that place, and his father had supported him to get to that place. You'll even see this when you're talking about rolling up sleeves. You'll maybe see even politicians where they talk about, now let's get to work. Let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. People who are workers roll up their sleeves and get to work. People who are wearing ornate powerful robes or power robes are not designed to get down and dirty and have to pay the price of what it takes to get to a place of power. They're just given the robe. You follow me so far? What does this mean for us? Let me take us off. The danger of this type of robe for us is that it sets us up to be fulfilling the things of our family and not the things of God. Many can become satisfied with being successful at the goals of their family. 
You see, I see that Joseph's father set him up to be successful at what he wanted him to do. And sometimes I think we can do this as well. Sometimes we can be in the place where we are uh, uh, getting a good education or we're, we're having a good family and we're, we're, we're doing well and successful in life and we've got a good job and we've got a home and we've got children and everything's great and that's all that your parents wanted for you. But maybe that's not what God has called you to. Not that you should get rid of those things, but that God has called you to something greater. You see, sometimes when you're satisfied that you've reached the top of the ladder and you've done really well, look at me, I'm a, I'm a good citizen, I'm paying my taxes, I'm a good father, I'm a good mother, I'm a good uh, uh, minister in the, church of, uh, in, in, in the church and I give to my local church. It sounds like you've become successful, but the question is, is that the dream that God put in your heart? Is that the dream that God set up for you to fulfill? See, all of those things of doing good things and being a good citizen or being righteous is expected of a Christian, but it's not necessarily a dream. Or maybe you, there's another side to it where he not only lived up to his family's goals, but we can actually live down to our family standards. You see, his brothers were living at a lower standard and he could have been uh, tripped and stumbled and fell and decided, oh, this, this jacket's not for me. I don't want to be anything better than my brothers. I'm going to just be the same as what they are. Culture can do that to us as well. But I, I come from a culture where, in my culture, it's, it's, it's kind of, our humor is sarcastic humor, right? In America, it's not as sarcastic. Does anyone enjoy sarcastic humor? Yeah? Okay, so what we'll do is we'll make our own club, tell our own jokes, be seen each other, don't tell anybody else, and then we'll feel bad about ourselves later on, right? Okay, in fact, I was at a, oh, I shouldn't tell this story, but okay, so I was at a funeral this week, right? Switch off the cameras, okay? I was at a funeral this week, and, uh, and, and, and we were inviting people to come up and share about this person who had been passed away, etc. And this lady gets up and she decides to share a story about how the lady that had passed away had delivered her from a demon. And she was going waxing lyrical about how she'd been delivered. Just this lady, she had prayed for me and these demons came out of me and I was just delivered and I had freedom. And the thing that went through my head was when there's something strange in the neighborhood, who are you gonna call? And I thought that would be hilarious, but wisdom rose up inside of me and said, Peter, don't let that out. Don't say it, right? <laughs> so, so I could live up to the standard that my family or my culture could have set for me that it's hilarious to say that type of stuff. Just let it out, Pete. Everybody will laugh, but there'll be someone there that will feel hurt and will feel rejected. It's not worth it. Sometimes you have to decide, am I going to hold on to, am I going to live down to the standards of my culture, the standards of what is around me, my brothers and my sisters? When I was growing up, there was a, I come from a city called Dundee, and really Dundonian is like an own, its own language. It's like its own language where if you're trying to speak to someone, you wouldn't understand a thing that they said. And I remember going to school and speaking Dundonian and coming home and speaking all this slang language. And my father said, you're not speaking that way. And I said, why? And he said, because I don't want you to be stuck in Dundee. I want you to be ready to go to whatever God had called you to do, to go to wherever God had called you to go. See, the thing is, many of us can start embracing the language that we speak. You maybe have embraced the way that you dress because you're dressing down and you don't want to change because you feel like you're rejecting your culture. You feel like you're rejecting your brothers and your family, but God has called you for something greater. 
Some of you have to start learning how to speak in a way that puts you in a position where you're understood more. Some of you have to dress that way. Maybe you have to change your car. Maybe you have to change the people that you're hanging out with. Maybe you have to change your education. Maybe you have to change something that means that you're rejecting your culture. But listen now, listen very carefully. If you're a Christian, you're of the culture of the kingdom of heaven. You're about the business of God. You're about fulfilling the dreams that he wants to manifest through you, not about your culture that you came from. Get rid of this coat. Let it be stripped from you. Don't live to the standards of your culture. Don't live to the standards of the success of your family because you've done well. Somehow you've succeeded. Rubbish. What has God called you to do? Are you following me? It's important that you have to allow yourself to be examined of whether you have to change your thinking, change your language, change your actions, and live to the dreams that God has called you to. The stumbling block of success is settling for what your family has set out before you. But what has God destined you for? Number two, the second dream killer, ready to dissuade you from following the path that God has set you on, is being dried out is being dried out. In chapter 37, verse 23, it says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. They got rid of it. The ornate robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. The cistern talks about a low place. His outer favor had been stripped from him. And his inner dryness had started to manifest. He was in a dry place. He lost position of power. He lost his connection to his father. He couldn't fix the situation that he was in. But God had put him in a place of being hemmed in on the left and to the right, from the front and to the back. His hands were tied. The danger with being in a dry place, I found, is this. That oftentimes, that's the chance when self-pity can start to settle in. We can become offended the fact that God hasn't changed things, that God hasn't rescued us from the situation we're in. We grow in self-pity. And the problem, with this is the problem with being in a well or in a cave, being by yourself, is that when you speak out the things that have been done to you, you're basically rehearsing it, you're nursing it and rehearsing it because when the words come out, they echo off of the cave or the well that you're in and they go back into your ears. The things that your brother said about you, the things that your family said about you, the things that you are even saying about you, they echo in your ears and the, and the, the argument keeps going back and forward and even when you're not talking, it's still going through your head. Even when your mouth and your lips are not moving, it's still going through your head because you're in a well of dryness. How do you overcome this? How are we meant to overcome this type of dryness? Listen, when he was in the well, there was no water. Maybe you've got unmet expectations in your life. Maybe you're disappointed of the relationships you had. Maybe you're disappointed with the results that you have in your life too. Moveon.com from the whole thing. God has not stopped you from being in that well. If he wanted you to be out of that well, would he have not pulled you out of the well? Hello? Why are you still stuck in the well? Oh, it's just because you're not good enough. Stop making it about you. Maybe it's because God doesn't love you. It's not about whether God loves you. He's already proven that. He has made a decision to let you be there, suck it up, and let something out of you. And let it not be a complaint, but let worship come out of you. Job said that even though you slay me, yet will I praise you. 
Paul said, in each circumstance that I find myself, I will praise your name. The psalmist said this, it's a beautiful psalm in 63. He says, you God are my God and earnestly I seek you. I thirst you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Does that sound like a dry well? I have seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your, your power and your glory in the past because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands and I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Listen, if you find yourself in a dry well, speak up, sing out, praise out. Let it come out of your mouth. Let it come forth and praise God. Do not let it be closed up in your mouth. Don't start to nurse your hurts and start to rehearse your arguments. Disperse it. Get rid of it. Confess your sins and disperse that pain and let worship come out of your mouth and praise God for what he has done in your life. Hello? Is someone ready to praise God? Are you ready to praise God? Then let's give him some praise right now like he is worthy. And in whatever dry place you're in, we will worship God with everything that is within us and so much more. Hello? Don't get trapped or dissuaded because you think that God left you alone. If you're in a well, God has got a greater plan. Wow. Your dreams are not dead. Hello? Your dreams are not dead. They don't belong to you. They belong to God. The only person that's maybe dead is you. Fire it up. Let the Spirit of God make you come alive. Let that worship come out. Number three, the third, the third dream killer that gets put in our way is being sold out. Genesis 37 verse 28, it says this, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Let's just take a moment with this because this is probably the most painful dream killer that exists. This is probably the, the hardest dream killer that can be in front of us. It's amazing how we can survive through dry places. It's amazing how we'll get over maybe some failure in our past, but when someone that we loved killed us, that's something that really cuts to the core. There are three ways that he was betrayed. The first one was his brothers sold him out. His brothers <coughs> sold him out. Now that's got to be painful. One of the things, if you remember, my wife Crystal was speaking a few weeks ago about human trafficking and about what we do as a church to fight human trafficking. And she went down to the Dominican Republic and she got to speak with a young girl there. And the young girl was telling the story about how she had been uh, trafficked into the sex uh, slave trade. And the young girl said that one day she had an opportunity to run away and she used to have to service, you know, 10 to 20 men a day. And one day her trafficker wasn't there and the door was just left unlocked. And she opened up the door and ran out into the street to run away, only to run into her trafficker, who turns out was her mother. I remember when Crystal told that story because there was a murmur, there was a, 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 there was a gasp that went across the room because it's so shocking when our family betrays us and hurts us. Listen, have you been hurt by your family? It can be something simple. It can be just that they took sides in the family. It could be that they chose their comfort over you. 
It could, it could be that they, they chose their own opinion rather than agreeing with you or supporting you. Those things are like a thousand paper cuts on our body, on our soul, into our heart. And the fact is that God wants us to be free from those things. He wants us to be healed from those things. God allowed him to go through a massive rejection with his brother because he couldn't afford, God could not afford for Joseph to be affected by the pain of the rejection of his brothers. Number two here, it says the first betrayal was his brothers. The second betrayal was from Potiphar's wife. That was his boss's wife. And his Potiphar's wife had said, hey, I want to sleep with you. And, uh, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, uh, concede to that. And he said, no, I don't want to be anything about it. So she accused him of rape. And of course, all his boss and the household and everyone thought that he had done something wrong. Have you been in a place where everybody thinks that you were a liar, but you weren't a liar? Are you in the place where your family, your boss, your friends are thinking that you are a liar that should be rejected, but really what they've done is betrayed you? The last one was when he was in prison after he had been accused of rape, and the Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker had been uh, uh, put into prison for whatever reason. And so they're in prison bemoaning their situation. And uh, one night <coughs> they wake up both having dreams and they spoke to, to Joseph. And, like, and Joseph said, what's, what's, what's wrong with you guys? You look down. And he said, and so the baker goes, I had a dream. The butler says, I had a dream. And he says, well, tell me that. And so Joseph interpreted their dream and the baker had a specific dream. And Joseph said, well, actually, the interpretation of that dream is jo uh, Pharaoh's gonna kill you and you're gonna be dead by tomorrow. And then he quickly moved on to the next, the next person. Right? He quickly moved on to the butler because that guy's gonna be dead anyway. And he goes, okay, tell me your dream. So he tells him his dream. And then he tells him his dream of what's gonna happen. He said, ah, that means that you're gonna be restored to service with Pharaoh. Then when he told him that, he said this, remember me. Remember me. Remember me. But he didn't remember him for two years. And there's nothing like sitting in rejection, feeling like you've been betrayed by someone who was ungrateful for what you did. Yes? This is probably, from a pastor's kid perspective, this is probably the thing that I have wrestled in my life. Because when I see how much my parents put into other people, or I even see myself and how much I poured into a person's life and you help them to be able to restore their life and they get their marriage on track and then they get their business on track. Then they get their emotions on track and they become strong in their life and then suddenly they're like, hey, I just don't think this is the church for me. I think I'm just gonna go on and then they leave and go somewhere else. Listen, I'm, I'm confessing here. That's one of the difficulties I have and I've got to forgive every time that happens to me because it's easy for that type of betrayal to settle in my heart and for me to feel rejected and hurt. Why? Because I'm a pastor's kid and now I'm a pastor it's just the way I am but I can't afford for that bitterness and that rejection to take root in my heart I know what it's like so if there's one of these I have to pick out for myself it's the butler I don't like butlers <laughs> which one is it for you is it your family your mom your dad your brothers your sisters there's deep betrayal we have an opportunity at the end of this service where we're going to ask God to root these things out and forgive us for holding bitterness against them because we need to be freed from this dream killer so we can move on to what God is calling us to do. Here's the cool thing. Watch this. God has a plan for the dream that he gave you. In verse 29, it says this. So when, so 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. 
Who are the Ishmaelites? Let me tell you who the Ishmaelites are. Several generations before, and I think it's like the great-grandfather of Joseph, there was a man who existed and who lived whose name was Abraham. And Abraham <clears throat> was a righteous man. He was a good man. And God was looking for someone righteous in order to start a holy nation with. And he went up to Abraham and he said, I have found you righteous. Your responses have been obedient. Your responses have been humble. Your responses have been good, merciful. I like you. You are ready for me to do something great for you. And what Abraham did is he said, so what is it you want me to do? He said, I want to make a holy nation through you. And Abraham goes, well, wait a second. My wife's 90. I'm about 100. There's nothing happening down there. There's no way it's going to happen. And God said, no, no, no. It will happen. Trust me. But what happened was he got together with his wife and they started talking and asking, how are we going to do this? God's told us to do it. We have to get about this business and make this happen. And she goes, aha, let me give you Hagar, who is my maidservant. You impregnate her. When she gives birth, we'll take the child and then we'll bring the child to God and say, see, look what we have done. And sure enough, they did it. And they went to God and say, see, I have a son. And God said, that's not what I said. I said that I would do it through you. Not you do it by yourself. And the problem was, God rejected Ishmael. Then he manifested a child through Sarah, who had a closed womb, and out of that was Isaac. Isaac grew up and gave birth to Jacob. Jacob grew up and gave birth to Joseph. Now Joseph is in the position where he is feeling rejected by his family and hurt by his family and he is now all alone in a dry place and suddenly God stirs up the past mistakes of your family and uses them for something good because that's how good God is. You see, God can use everything that your father and your mother did wrong and turn them into something good. Your past mistakes can be used for the glory of God. Hello, if that's not something to be thanking God about, I don't know what is, because I got a list of mistakes that my parents did, and I can tell you them all now, but I won't, okay? So there's a list of mistakes you can think of, all your family did, and you can go, it's horrible that I've come from that. I come from poverty. I come from rejection. I come from divorce. I come from all that stuff, but you watch. God, he'll take it, turn it around and use it for your favor. Hello. This is the way my God works. What did Joseph do? This was his response. Joseph, after he saw how good God was, he named his children after the things that God had done through him. He named his first child, forgive and forget, Manasseh. I'm going to name you Manasseh. And then he named his second child Ephraim, which means I'm fruitful in the land of affliction. You have to make a decision that whatever you're birthing in your life, what are you going to call it? Are you going to call it, my life sucks? Are you going to call it, I've come from a broken marriage? Are you going to call it, I am poor? Are you going to call it that I can't speak right, act right, talk right because I'm not educated? Are you going to call the things of your future based on what you've come from or are you going to call it how good God is? Because the small things that God has given your life are given by God. Now, listen, if God can take a tiny mustard seed and make it into a massive tree, then surely he can take your tiny amount of faith and make it into something great. God has called us to great things. And I want you to get stirred up with this. If you think this room is the level that we're meant to get at, it's not. 
If you think the size of this building is all that we're meant to do and the only ministry we're meant to do in this city, it's not. We're meant to bust out of here. And the only way we're going to bust out of here is that when we go through you and you manifest your dream, which is why we don't tell you what your dream is because you're not here to build Pastor Peter's dream. You're not here to build Northwest thing. You're here to live out the dream that God has called you to. Hello. And there is hundreds of dreams in this room right now. There are hundreds of dreams in this room right now. And we need to not be delayed or dissuaded from going towards the prize just because we've been hurt, because we've been betrayed, because we didn't think we measured up. It's time to live up to the standard of God. Do whatever he has called you to do. And as we end this morning, I want us to take a moment of asking God to take away our bad responses, our rejected responses to the things that have happened to us so we can be free to see the vision once again. Let's stand. Let's close our eyes. Today, we'll walk out a room full of free people. Today, we'll walk out a room full of dreaming people in the name of Jesus. And Lord, as we hold our hands out before you, we're in a sense like we're carrying a basket of stuff. We're carrying a basket where I've been rejected by my family, my friends, and maybe my boss. I wasn't promoted. Mm. I didn't become what I was hoping to become. No one saw my skills and my talent. I'm also taking a basket of dryness, God, the times when I haven't heard you. And in that basket is even the standards of my family, the culture that I came from. I've been so proud that I'm Scottish. Look at the way I am. Look at what I've come from. Look at the way I talk. Look at the way I act. Father, I'm taking that basket and I'm putting it on the altar. And Father, I pray that you would help me off with this jacket. Take this jacket off, Father, that has been a standard put onto me, that people have been satisfied in my family for what I should achieve or not achieve. Lord, I don't want to live up to that anymore. So I'm taking the jacket off. And I pray, Father, that you would release me and allow me to be free and trusted enough to carry and wear the jacket that you have called. Your son told us to take up our cross every day and follow him. Well, today, that's what we wear. That's what we put on. And Lord, I pray in place of all this stuff that I have left in front of you, I pray that you would help me to forgive them. I will forgive every person who has limited me. And I will forget what they have done to me. And I will allow myself forgiveness to come up. When Joseph's brothers returned and came to him years later and they begged him for his mercy, it says that Joseph let out a bitter sob because that desire for reconciliation was there. He let it out and he cried. And I pray, Father, that if there's anything rotten in our stomach, anything that has been a brokenness would come out of us, Father, in the name of Jesus. 
From this day forward, whatever it is that needs to come out, let it come out, Lord, in the name of Jesus, so that we can be at peace and at rest with the people that, we ha- that have actually hurt us. Help us to know how to accept them without stumbling over who they're not. Oh God, help us, Lord, once again. We want to be free people who are walking away from this. And in place of everything that you've removed, I pray you would fill us up with your spirit once again. And every person in this room, may the hand of God touch your head and the spirit of God fill you up once again. Isn't it good to be alive? Isn't it good to be in love with the Father? Isn't it good to be free? I want us to take a moment right now as we're ending. The way we're going to say amen is by applauding our Father in heaven for how good he is. And then at the end of that, you're going to turn someone, turn to someone, give them a big squeezy hug, high five them, do whatever you want, give them five bucks, tell them you're going to take them out for Starbucks. You ready to worship God? Let's give everything that we've got to God and let's worship him now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You're a good God. May God bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine on you. Have a great day.